0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Today, we're recording on a Saturday. This is a very, very special edition with two very, very special women whom I know well and love lots. Uh, We're talking to a dynamic duo of Debra's. Both of them are from the great state of Texas, and they'll be um, tag teaming today, talking a little bit about leadership. What is it? What does it mean to different people? Is it really hard to engage in effective leadership? Um, And as our friend Brene Brown, another good Texas girl says, do we lead in an armored or daring manner? I'm so delighted to have you two here today with me. Thank you so much. Um, Everyone knows they can hear this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, Radio Public Breaker, um, and other great episodes starring other people who move the needle for women in business. So today's Debras are Deborah Graybine. Welcome, Deborah. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm just so happy to be here today with y'all. Awesome. Awesome. And Deborah Mcmurray. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you.
1: I'm from uh, North Texas, and Deborah Graybine is from South Texas. So, so we're trying to we're covering the state.
0: If anybody could do it, you two could. So, I will say the way that we're going to eliminate any confusion today is I am going to refer to the two of you as DG, Deborah Graybine, and DMAC, Deborah McMurray. So, as we head off into this wonderful interview, um, let me just say welcome to the listeners. A lot of the listeners are going to be familiar with the two of you because you're so well known uh, in the legal arena. But some of my listeners from other industries may not know you well, so before we get into the nitty-gritty, tell us a little bit about your background and and such. I'll start with you, D-Mac. Tell me a little bit about your background. Okay, Susan, thanks, Um, and I'll make it really short. Uh, I have two degrees
1: in classical music, flute, and had a great early career playing and teaching, But then I realized in sort of a rare uh, moment of reflection and self-awareness in my 20s, I realized that I was the morning person. So I transitioned um, out of having a nighttime career into uh, a daytime career, Which and I thought that the kind of the creative side of business was where I belonged, of course. I'm the founder. CEO of Content Pilot, a strategy design, content, and technology company that I started in 2006, which serves professional services firms, primarily law firms and accounting firms. And we represent the largest law firms in the world by revenue and number of lawyers down to much, much, much smaller high-end boutiques. I am also an active advocate for two major charities in Dallas, and I should say North Texas, Resource Center, which is the third largest provider of services to LGBTQ and HIV clients in the country. I chair the board and also the Dallas Theater Center, the largest repertory theater in North Texas that produces, uh, produces its own plays. And our mission at, at the Dallas Theater Center is in part to inspire new ways of thinking and living. And I currently chair the Long Range Planning Committee. But I just love that, inspire new ways of thinking and living. I I, I I, want that for all of our lives.
0: I love that, too. I love that, too. And it's so wonderful. I think that people who know you for your professional services uh, work, the work that you do in legal and accounting, may not know those other two things about you. What a great way to spend your spare time, which um, I know that spare time is is like, what is that? You know, it's like leftover wine. <laughs> what <Yeah>. is that? <laughs> yeah, right. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself, Debra Um,
2: One thing I should tell you is that both Deborah and I are not originally from Texas, but as is said, we got here as fast as we could. Um, <laughs> I grew up on the East Coast. I was born in Philadelphia and lived... Between Pennsylvania and Maryland until I graduated from high school, which really wouldn't matter, except that I had this huge desire to be in politics in Washington, D.C. Wow. And when I graduated from high school, which was um, back in 1972, my dad said to me, if you want me to pay for college, you have to go to Texas for a year. And then after that, if it doesn't work out, I'll pay for you to go uh, where you'd like to go back on the East Coast. And I was a very uh, quintessential hippie of the 70s. And so coming to Texas was a bit of an eye opener, to say the least. I did not fit in, nor did I want to fit in. And... um, i was the rebel rouser at that time but interestingly enough i didn't ever leave texas i stayed here i uh, did go to college here i went to smu in dallas and um still had a significant yearning to go back to the east coast to get into politics but as life would have it that didn't happen and i ended up In um, a law firm, and basically was doing project management for a very large client of a particular firm. Um, Interestingly enough, my degree is in English and French, and I got a teaching certificate as a backup just in case. and And ended up by happenstance into legal marketing because of a vast change with a significant client of that of the firm at the time um, and and just literally fell in love with it um, and Deborah didn't say this as well about herself, but back in the day, we were very early pioneers of the predecessor to the Legal Marketing Association, which was then called NAUFMA, the National Association of Law Firm Marketing Administrators. Thank goodness someone had the vision to shorten the acronym, Um, and have been in legal marketing in some form or fashion since then. Sometimes in law firms, I had a stint for about four years in a startup, which I loved, and would do it again if an opportunity presented itself. Um, And also worked in companies that sell services to law firms, and I really enjoyed being on that side of the equation as well. Uh, What I love to do is to work with women and young girls to help them find their power, and as such, I'm very involved in two organizations. One is called Girls Empowerment Network, which is a Texas-based organization that focuses on helping girls between the ages of eight and 18, but primarily eight to 14, those middle school, uh, late elementary school years, which are so important and critical for young girls to begin to believe in themselves and to understand why they, they are empowered to do so much. It's the most difficult time of a, of a girl's life. Um, and today with the advent of social media and so many other platforms that talk about what girls should look like and what girls should do and how they should act, the work of Girls Empowerment Network is critical. Also critical is to help families in need, and I uh, sit on the board of an organization called Family Houston, and I'm the Vice Chair of Development, and that organization helps families to find themselves in some kind of a crisis if they need counseling, if individuals need counseling or find themselves in a crisis. Uh, family today is Deborah, is so fabulously inspired to talk about families today look so different than the cleaver families of the 50s and the 60s and so we too at family houston are open to all the kinds of family iterations that you find today and help them through a variety of needs that they might have
0: you know i i want to say to both of you um we talk about diversity and inclusivity and we do so so often that I think the real meaning sometimes gets lost in, in the way that you spend your time outside of work. I know it's not lost on you, but for the audience or for the listeners. I just want to make it clear that diversity is not inclusivity, Just because you have a DNI program, or you're focused on um, people who come from different backgrounds or look different, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, diversity concerns differences among employees, their religion, ethnicity, gender, nationality, age, et cetera but inclusion inclusivity is the power point that is um where you value these differences and I find that a lot of people drop the eye i mean they're focused they're we're here to talk about leadership, but I think because of what you two do in your spare time, it's important to um first give you huge praise for choosing to spend your spare time helping those who may or may not have a voice for themselves. But to point out the fact that a lot of law firms and other businesses claim to have a d initiative, um, when maybe it just looks like they do, um, you know, you pull back the curtain and you say, "Well, who's getting the stretch assignment, the big case, who's being paid for this work, who's the relationship attorney? it's not always inclusive, right? It's, it's more the diversity component shows on the website or the brochure or even in the pitch uh, when you parade people around in person. Uh, But clients are starting to pull back the curtain and say, who's getting paid for the work. And so the fact that you are all about the I as well as the D is very impressive and I'm proud to call you friends. So, um, We'll, we'll move on to talk about leadership. That's the crux of the show, but I, I am not about sticking to any kind of, you know, if you want to talk about anything, you bring it up, feel free. This is a very genuine, authentic, um, safe space that I create for guests to talk about what's important to them and what they need to say. I give them a voice to be heard. So dmac, tell me a little bit, um, about if you want to if you want to talk about leadership, let's do it. Let's talk about leadership. I'm all about creating a workplace where a woman can stop pretending to be the man the man that you know she might have combated or try to be someone she's not. And I'm all about the men who are allies. You know, we have to do this together. We can't make enemies. Um, so tell me a little bit about leadership. The CEO of your own company and a well-known leader. Do you take risks, etc.?
1: Yes, in fact, uh, yes, I I surely do. Um, I do want to just put one more, um, one more vowel in front of your diversity and inclusion uh, before we move on. um, And that would be equity. So in um, we, we see the acronym EDI a lot. And I think that we're not seeing it as much. We see it a lot in the nonprofit world. We are seeing it much less in the business world. Um, and I think it's it 's a vowel that 's really important, so to your point of inclusion, which is critical, the concept of equity is also critical. Yes,
0: yes, so I actually am pretty uh, provocative, as you too know, and sometimes say things that rock the boat and i 've been known to say publicly that d i 's lipstick on the pig where's the equity? We need to focus on equity, so you' are mm-hmm. absolutely spot on with that. Yeah so
1: uh so talking about risk um the you know risk anytime I, I think the very definition of risk is that the outcome is uncertain but you know the the longer you live and the more you learn um, you i think it it's possible to to take calculated risks that are um that are smart it and of course, there's no assurance that you're going to get the outcome that you want, but I think there's also there's always learning in whatever outcome you get. But I do think being a risk taker, I am a risk taker, and I believe fundamentally that's the only way to leap ahead. But I'm I'm also not crazy. And um, so in business, <laughs> we stage the risks. I'm sure I have colleagues who would dispute that, but we stage the risks, ensuring that we have a a strong, stable foundation first, and then we can afford to take risks that, you know, won't be, um, you know, company destroying or culture destroying, but we're all, we, the the risks are really all in the name of seeking a smarter and a better outcome.
0: I think you have to be willing to take risks if you're going to call yourself a leader and if you're actually going to lead. So that's, that's pretty amazing. So, um, have you ever had something where you took a risk, it didn't turn out like you'd hoped and you were able to actually recover? Like, How did you overcome that, that not planned for or outcome, the, the non-desirable outcome, the, the outcome you didn't want to have happen?
1: Well, the, the perfect example, and Deborah Grabein knows this well, is when I founded Content Pilot in, 20, in 2006, I um, did not expect... Um, a big change in my personal life and a big change in the economy in this, the start of 2008. So as you know, and remember, yeah. we were hard, hard, hard hit, as were countless other industries in uh, with the recession and law firms weren't spending money. And we had just I had just spent my savings developing new technologies to go to market and wasn't taking a salary. And then all of a sudden law firms weren't spending any money. So that was a very challenging time. And we did have to lay off um, four employees. And we had to cut the salaries of our, of our remaining 13 employees by 10% during that time. And I still wasn't taking a salary. So that was a really painful time. But we, we, you know, we, kind of just stuck together, you know, through heart, soul, um, some glue, and some duct tape, and (laughs) and, I think,
0: Deborah McMurray, I want to say, I bet you those folks wanted to make it happen for you, too, because you you do things that are right for yourself, but also when you have a great leader at the helm, you want to do right by them, so to speak, so I'm sure you were, you know, clearly led by example, but I'm sure they wanted to you know, help to recover this, you know, from this tough time, in part because of their love and admiration and respect for you personally?
1: Well, thank you. I, I can say proudly that, um, that most, uh, I'm trying to think if I can actually say most, um, I would say more than half of those people that were with me then are still key employees in the company
0: Wow oh my gosh that's a huge sign yeah that's wonderful wonderful well I know a couple of folks that work with you and they are fantastic so um, well Deborah Graybine, you tell me a little bit uh, how do you find you know do you find taking risks is a must or do you avoid that or you know tell me a little bit about your thoughts on taking risks
2: Well, by nature, I am a risk taker. Um, I am a bit um, of a free spirit. Now, I will also tell you that um, I am a big researcher and big on reading and getting educated. So while things are risky, if you will, um, I read a lot about what I'm about to do before I do it just to make sure that I have some level of comfort in the risk. So it's not a throw it all to the wind and what happens happens. Um, although there are times that I feel like doing that, but I haven't ever really done that. Um, I think one of the interesting risks I took was doing the startup, um, it actually was the client of a, a law firm, the very first law firm that I worked in back, back in the 80s. And this was, the startup was in the 90s when the dot-com era was um, euphoric and money was flowing like water from the kitchen sink faucet. Um, I was on the advisory board of the company first and then ended up, being the 12th employee hired, and had to do a little bit of everything. My primary role was in marketing and communications, but when you're a startup, you wear a multitude of hats, and things were lean and mean. Um, even though we had great funding, you still have to behave um, you know, very carefully. You have to be prudent about your expenses, and um, it turned out to be a great opportunity, we missed IPO by about six months. And uh, my investment ended up being um, nil at the end. But I walked away with a great group of new friends and colleagues, I learned so much, probably the best learning experience I've had in my career and worked with a phenomenal CEO, um, someone who actually has done some leadership training for legal marketers, his name is Henry Javray, and smart man, really good at motivating people, um, was an excellent leader, and um, really gave me a platform to grow, and um, I will always remember that. so it was really fun. Tons of work. Average work week for a while was about 100 hours a week.
0: So and I had I, two, children,
2: two yeah, children at the time.
0: Huh? I was just going to ask you about that. I was just going to say, so I've been in the startup world um, in Boston. It's very exciting. It's so different from being in-house at a law firm, which is so measured, pragmatic. The, you know, this is how we've always done it. The startup atmosphere is Controlled chaos, sometimes not controlled, but you had two small children. So I was just going to ask you, how did you manage, you know, your attention, not just your time, but I mean, that's a crazy, crazy, um, atmosphere in which to grow your own, uh, career and raise your children. So how did you manage your attention?
2: So interestingly enough, at the time, my uh, son was in high school and my daughter um, was coming out of elementary school. And we sat down and and it was a family decision. Um, I told them that I had this opportunity, that I really wanted to give it a go. Um, And we made a personal investment in the company. And and as I mentioned, I, I got nothing back and got no return on that investment. But we were big about family decisions, and so I sat down with them and mapped out what I wanted to do, and that I really needed them to say yes if it, if I was going to be able to be successful, and if they said no, then I would stay where I was. And I understood I might be disappointed, but I understood. Um, I love that. And everybody said yes, um, awesome. and my parents at the time lived you know, maybe a half a mile away. Um, My husband was absolutely behind it and supportive because it meant so much of the family and the household day to day would fall on his shoulders. My parents were very involved. I had a couple of friends um, who were neighbors as well, but they were always available to carpool or do whatever. Um, so truly, it took a lot of people to help me make that a reality.
0: That's awesome that you considered others so much, um, that, that that you give them that much weight in the vote. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're you know, one person, one vote. That's amazing. So I think sometimes my family wish I, wishes I would do that too. So Deborah McMurray, talk about core values because I I mean I know you well I know you personally I adore you not everyone um, listening knows you as well so tell us what are your core values do you have a sacred core value what leads you day to day when you wake up in the morning what do you say what do you feel
1: I, I call them more mottos as opposed to core values and I have three that I really do live by Um, The first one is probably the most important one, and that is called Live Above the Line. So, if you take a piece of paper and draw a horizontal line on the page, and write all the what I call kind of excuse words below it, um, procrastinating, blaming, finger pointing, indecisiveness, not delivering, misunderstanding not caring, being late, forgetting, no accountability, etc., etc., etc. It can be a very long list of things that is below this line. But then above the line, you write one word in all caps, and that one word is RESPONSIBILITY. So, live above the line, for me, is always take responsibility for what happens next. It doesn't mean you have to do everything, but it does mean that if others don't get their job done, which we know happens sometimes, you still take responsibility
2: for it.
0: That's the mark of a great leader when you um, you hold yourself accountable for the team that you lead. That's that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, what a powerful exercise! Do you mind if I snag that for some of my events?
1: Sure, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Go ahead. You might it might you might be interested in, in the other um, the other two. Mata. Yeah, the other the one is uh no good deed goes unpunished. Oh <laughs>
0: and I match that one. Yeah. yeah. me too, sister. Story of our lives, right? Wow. Yeah.
1: And uh and then the other is, and I'm gonna talk about it a little bit later. Um I s the other the third one is I say yes.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. Wow. So, Deborah Grabein, talk to me a little bit about your either mottos or core values or the, the thoughts, beliefs that, that really channel your behaviors.
2: The first one is integrity and honesty. Um, I can pretty much live with anything and deal with anything if an individual, including myself, is um, a person of honesty and integrity. Life happens. I get it i've you know managed and led hundreds of people, and I get that things happen on a daily basis. so what I want someone to do is come and tell me, you know my child is sick, my dog got hit by a car, my um, family is in crisis and needs me. Um, Let's just deal with it and figure out how to help you, A, get through your situation, and then B, what do we need to do to get the job done? Um, So that, to me, says a lot. If you choose to speak non-truths to me, um, that's a real problem because that, that, to me, is a sign of a bigger issue. I still want to help you. But I'm going to call you on it and have a a conversation that I hope um, you would pay attention to, so that um, you would you whoever the you is in this conversation would want to try to turn yourself around and and improve from that. The second thing that's important to me is that um, you, your words improve the silence. So. One thing I believe is true is that women struggle with collaborative environments or learning how to be collaborative. And while I have not read all the science as to why, one of my observations through the years is opportunities for women are so limited or have been limited. They're much better now. But what's different about men and women is that women have not had the opportunities to learn how to be collaborative, how to have the sharp elbows as, as men often do say in a locker room, but then they come out of the locker room and they're like with each other. Okay. So where are we going to go have the beer and the burger? Let's do it. Um, and I've, women just don't, haven't had that. And I watched my daughter who was a collegiate athlete on a team of about 60 girls. And I spent a lot of time at her meets and watched those girls. And it's interesting to see that while they're on a team and they desire to win, some of them will have a role that will move them towards the win and others will not. And they struggle with the identity in that scenario. And that is the same thing that is true in, in the workplace. Women don't how to work with one another and lift one another up, even though, their win may come later, right? So the definition of a leader I've read about is often, you have to do things that you may never see the benefit of, of that initiative or that work or whatever it is that you're doing. But a leader will do that. A leader will say, I'm going to make this happen even though it may not benefit me. And so what happens, I think, is that women tend to speak their frustrations, and oftentimes that comes in the form of a not a compliment about another. And so my philosophy is make sure that your words improve the silence or make sure that your words improve an idea, but they must be words that are helpful and um, productive, and then the last thing that I think about all the time is an Eleanor Roosevelt quote. Great minds discuss ideas, average minds discuss events, small minds discuss people. I love that quote. I want us to be sure that as leaders, and as, as leaders who are women, If I were to look back on my life, as I would come close to the end of my life here on the earth, my legacy, my desire for my legacy is that I was able to improve pathways for young girls and women, no matter what their age, to have accessibility to opportunity that I might not have had.
0: I think that's amazing and that's beautiful and very giving of you. Um, I, I don't, I try not to interrupt in the podcast. Sometimes we overlap, it's conversational. What I wanted to say, you struck a chord with me. Um, for me, leadership is when a woman is, she motivates and inspires others to do as well or better than she herself has done. So I think that rings true with what you said and maybe aligns with what you said about leadership. I love, I love many Eleanor Roosevelt quotes, but that's one in particular. I believe that guilt and gossip are two worthless endeavors. I mean, if it's something that's going to make you feel bad, don't do it in the first place. Be preventive. And that's a sign of insecurity and fear when women do put each other down or hurt others. Um, So I have a tendency to walk away and not to fight back. Um, I'm not saying it's good or bad. It just is what it is. But in listening to the two of you, I'm learning more about new ways to handle things and the ways that you handle things and the things that are important, top of mind and in your heart as well. Deborah Grayvine, let's carry on a little bit about um, emotions. How do you handle emotions that arise when you're in the workplace? Like how does one, so, so I'm of the belief that you bring your whole self to work and to home, uh, that you can't separate those two um, you are who you are, and if you're a genuine, authentic person, now that's not to say you can't change your behaviors or alter or, or manage. So talk to me a little bit about that, about emotions in the workplace. You know, um,
2: my 30-year-old self would have been far less appropriate about managing emotions in the workplace than my <laughs> 60-year-old
0: self. <Yes>. Thank
2: goodness <laughs> I've learned something. Um, so a couple of things that I'd like to, to say is um, one of the best books for me that I've read in, um, in all the years, and I'm a voracious reader, as I know both of you are as well, is Stephen Covey's Seven Habits. And yeah. The first one that I always think about is seek first to understand and then to be understood. So Sometimes when you're in a conversation with an individual um, and emotions are high, I have found that sometimes the emotions are really about a situation where someone just needs to be heard. Perhaps what they're lamenting about or complaining about or arguing about or being angry about is just, I need someone to listen to me. And so I have adopted and implemented for myself a philosophy of I will always listen to you, but I'm going to ask that you just try to be respectful. So if you're upset or angry, choose your words carefully, you can't take them back. Um, And if you need to simply vent, then when we talk, Um, And it's a safe place, always a safe place. Simply say to me, I'm venting. When I finish venting, then I really am going to ask your advice on how to manage the situation. So then that way we're real clear about what, what is happening and and what's going on. Um,
0: How do you see that play out men versus women and how they handle their emotions? Because I I know that Women, if you cry at work, you're seen immediately as weak, but that's not true. Women cry because they're frustrated. That's usually why they're, uh, they, they are not able to articulate into words what their frustration is. So tears may well up, and I always recommend you go in your office, close the door, and then ball your eyes out. But a man can throw a chair across the room, and, and I find that very unacceptable, um, but people permission that. They say, oh, he was angry, he lost a case, what have you. So,
2: first of all, it's not acceptable. Um, Chair throwing, throwing anything, unless one is in a situation where one's trying to physically defend oneself, um, that isn't acceptable. And I can give you an example of a situation, and this was years ago. I was um, much younger, um, but I was in the, the office of a very... Powerful individual in a law firm, and he had made a choice about something. It was a bad choice, and to his credit, he came back thereafter um, and confirmed that he had made a bad choice. But I had to manage to that choice, and he came came into my office and confronted me and started yelling and screaming. There was a lot of obscenities. Um, he puffed up and, and got very red and angry. And I think my reaction partly was I just didn't know what to do. And so I, I stood up, right? Because at least if I'm standing up, perhaps the footing I have now is equal because we're both standing. And I did the opposite, instead of yelling, I spoke very quietly and simply said, it is clear that this is not a good time for us to have this conversation, but if you insist on having it, then we're going to go to the managing partner's office. And I walked out of my office, and of course, his voice was so loud and his language so inappropriate, Every secretary and every lawyer in the hallway that we had to walk down was just watching us. And someone had phoned the managing partner. And so when we got to his office, he was prepared. Wow. And we walked in and we both sat down, and the lawyer just carried on. And I didn't say a word. And the managing partner finally said to this particular partner, I'm going to ask you to stop. And I'm going to ask you to have a conversation. And if you cannot, then I'm excusing Deborah from my office. And so I got up and I walked out. Um, a couple of hours later, the partner came into my office and profusely apologized. The wow. managing partner came in and apologized. Uh, the next day, there was the most gorgeous bouquet of flowers on my desk. And the partner and I found some common ground and then continued on and we became best friends.
0: Wow. What a story. So the very happy ending was this, do you mind if I ask? was this in Texas?
2: It was in Texas. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I've worked down in the Gulf South and we have big booming personalities down there litigators are big booming um, personalities down there. Um, and, and I say cultural communications, it's different there. Um, I've worked in New England, I've worked in Hawaii, I've worked in California. Uh, we really are big and booming down in Louisiana, Texas, and so forth and so on. Um, so that's pretty cool that you remained calm and that you um, didn't react in an equal but opposite manner, you know, that, that in the way that he was reacting. You didn't take the bait, so to speak. Um, so very, very, very good um, story there. So the flowers. Oh, I knew that was a Southern man.
2: <laughs> right?
0: It's Cindy flowers. Well, Deborah McMurray, what about you? How do you, um, I know that you're a beautiful human who's all about authenticity and embracing uh, the, the feeling as much as the being and the doing. So tell me, how do you handle emotions in the workplace? or? or how would you recommend we do that?
1: Well, it's it's funny. For uh, First of all, I I love that story, uh, uh, DG. Um, it's a terrific story. Uh, and it is so interesting, Susan, that you actually mentioned, I told it was a, kind of a story of about a man throwing a chair um, and, and so on, because <clears throat> I literally have a personal story about a law firm partner lifting a club chair over his head and hurling it straight at me. Wow. Um, back in the mid 90s when I was the CMO at my second, uh, my second law firm and how I reacted was um, I had actually fired him as a client because he was so abusive to my very small team and to me and, um, and so inappropriate at a particular uh, weekend long event that we were we were posting for clients and um and so I I fired him and his group as a as clients of ours of, of our department. And wow. had the managing partners' approval to do so. But he was so angry and of course the obscenities and he's screaming in my office and he literally picks up my club chair beat and I ran from behind my desk. Out the door, and he pivots and throws the door at my back, or throws the chair at my oh back, and completely broke the door frame of my office. So, hashtag bullying. Yeah, I <laughs> um, would think so. Yeah, um, but it takes a lot. It was it was hard for me to be in house in the law firm. I was in house at two different firms for eleven years, and it really was as Deborah Graybine knows back then it was the wild wild west and um and it takes a lot to make me angry but you and you mentioned it Susan that i i when i get frustrated in a business setting or something when when i feel that something is truly unfair i find that in me there's also an underlying hurt that that's somehow triggered yes and that can cause me to cry. Um, and I still think today there is a big stigma about women crying in the, mer- in the workplace. If it happens once, okay, you know, people are, oh, gee, I'm so sorry I made you feel badly, even twice. But if it happens more than that, the woman is labeled as a crier or emotionally a wreck or even worse uh, and more permanent, a label like emotionally unstable so i think the idea of you know kind of crying in your office or going for a walk leaving the building and going for a walk i think is entirely appropriate because we can't you know it's an it's a it, an involuntary response to something right. that um that is impossible to control so what you can control is is how you Sort of execute it. The environment
0: that
1: you happen to be in at the time.
0: Yeah, you know, so I want to say one quick thing about that because um, I cannot stress that enough. In the classes that I teach, the sessions that I do, the webinars, the, the speeches I've been giving lately, I point out because there are men in the room, I want them to understand that we are not incompetent and we are not weak simply because that's how we are wired where we sense uh, an inability to express our frustration with the words and we don't compartmentalize as well as men so we may well up with tears that doesn't mean i'm weak by any means you two ladies know me i am not weak but i am uh, emotional i cry at sad things that's one. you know we all cry at funerals or saying goodbye i mean that's very sad but when i'm frustrated and i can't get my message across because someone's not listening or they don't speak the same language as i um, yeah, it can be frustrating to the point of tears welling up and so that's what I address It's it's not that we're incompetent or unable to handle conflict or um, It's simply that we'd speak a different language and I talk about muted group theory where all the rules and regulations in corporations law firms engineering firms have been set by white males historically So women and other minorities struggle to navigate within that system, and I'm not making the case that we need to learn to speak white male. I'm making the case that we should all be honored and embraced for the different languages we speak, that we shouldn't all have to conform to to speak white male. So although throwing a chair across the room is never acceptable, not by a man or a woman, and I don't care what your title or pay grade is, it's not okay. I, too, saw it in-house in a law firm. He didn't pick it up over his head, but he took a rolling chair and just threw it across the room at the wall, and people forgave him for that. And I was like, am I the only one in the room who thinks that's totally unacceptable? I feel like I'm in some alternate, uh, alternate universe. So crazy that you experience that same or similar um, situation. Um, Well, and of of
1: course, sort of the outcome of that was, again, the managing partner completely apologized to me, but uh, he wasn't fired. He wasn't disciplined. Right. No.
2: So this is um, DG. There's one thing I would say about um, women and emotions and men and emotions, and that is that sometimes the best advice to give not when they're inappropriate as chair throwing but is i always tell people go take a time out sometimes that's go get a coffee go outside and take a walk maybe you just need to go home today take a deep breath get some rest wake up in the morning and make some decisions sometimes you just need that space and women are the worst about taking it right because What we've learned is, well, I just have to dig in and work harder now. I just have to put my head down and roll up my sleeves and just power through. And sometimes the very opposite is true, which is step away, take a deep breath, change your environment, take a walk, whatever it is that works for you, and then come back the next day and figure it out.
0: But Deborah Grayvine, I think that's all great advice, but how often do we hear people tell the, the partner who's throwing the chair that same advice? You know, um, you need to take a I, answer, step outside yourself for a moment there, gather yourself.
2: You know, I can't change the managing partner, but I can change myself and I can do that for my team or yeah. I can intervene for someone else in the firm. Or I can go to the managing partner and say, this person needs to be out of the office.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know,
2: I can I can do that. Now, if the managing partner chooses to not do something, then I have to make my own choices about that individual as a leader. Right. right? We're talking about leadership. And so... You know, it's, it's, and I thought about this, Susan and Deborah, it's not just about how we lead, but it's how we want to be led, right? True. The people people that we are led by in an organization or, you know, Deborah McMurray, you're your CEO, but you have a a board of trusted advisors who guide and lead you. Um, So how do we want to be led, right? And that's just as important as how we leave.
0: I agree, I agree. Well, um, let me ask you both. This is a very important question. I think um, oftentimes people are of that silly little, well, I shouldn't call it silly, but sometimes we say, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Well, I think the phrase should be, if you can't say something constructive. Um, because I find feedback very meaningful. I find feedback a sign of respect. Even if it's negative feedback, it's how it's said. that You know, you can say something, um, you know, not so, you can say negative feedback in a positive way is what I'm trying to say. So how are you two at giving feedback? Because I think great leaders need to give feedback. Teams need that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I know, in fact, Deborah uh, graybine and I serve as, um, also, in addition to you, Susan, of course, um, but serve as sort of a, you know, an, an, a, one member of the, our board of advisors and both personally and professionally and, um, and we know each other both to be very honest and transparent people and direct people, but with, you know, with great affection and kindness and respect when we have to say something um, about you know, you know the, if we have a disagreement or we dislike something or we're giving advice that it you know may not be as uh, m- may not be enjoyed <laughs> may not be well received. Um, I know when my team in, a, in my own professional setting at content pilot, when I really don't like something such as a design or a piece of copy or a color palette. Or um, or a type of food. If I uh, I like most food, um, unfortunately, I like most food. But certain type, you know, certain things I don't love. My standard phrase is, um, I don't love that. And I know Deborah, you've heard <laughs> a million times over the years. Um, so and people who know me well know what that means. But I, it's my way of sort of gently saying, okay, I think that's horrible. But as opposed to saying that, I will just say I don't love that and. People, people know exactly what it means.
0: So I love that. <laughs> that's awesome. So I know when I was raising James as a single mom, many, many years ago, um, I read all the latest books and I used to say to him, instead of don't do that, or that's not good. Or I would say, do this and show him the positive. And it's exhausting but I think it's a much better way to lead and teach is to be a positive reinforcer rather than a negative reinforcer. So I do love that you have that. I don't love that versus I hate that. Um, I think that's great. That's terrific. How about you, Deborah Graybine? How are you at giving feedback?
2: I love this question. Uh, before I specifically answer the question, I wanted to share with you that um, many years ago, I came to work for a firm that was then known as Andrews Curth. Um, that firm has now merged and is now Hunt Andrews Curth. But at the time I went to work at, at the firm, which was in 2005, Deborah McMurray had just done some great work in rebranding at the time and the tagline for the firm was straight talk is good business and if i were to describe how i communicate it would be straight talk is good business now i would frame up that approach by also saying that my desire in straight talk is always to have a positive outcome the words are chosen carefully. And, and as you were raising James, Susan, I try to come from the positive and not from the negative. So if I were doing a performance evaluation and there was a problem, I might start it with, you know, I've got some information here that tells me, um, a particular initiative that you were responsible for. To whomever that employee might be, maybe didn't go quite the way that you had hoped it would, um, and appears that the lawyers felt the same way. Let's talk about your thoughts on that, and then if you agree with this comment, then let's talk about how you might do it differently the next time. Um, right? So I love every, that. Every opportunity can be a learning opportunity, and there's a lot written about. You know, we don't fail; we learn. Um, And again, there might be some extenuating circumstances, um, but I'm always trying to frame up the opportunity so that we can learn from it and then change the outcome the next time. Now sometimes you reach a limit of that and then you have to have a different conversation. Um, But that's what I try to do I'm not always successful at it, um, but that is my goal, is that someone is able to learn from that moment. I'm able to speak words that give truth to that moment in a way that learning can occur.
0: So I think for for both of you, you know this, and for the audience or listeners, you may not know this, but I have talked to both of these, jabras in moments where... um, I understood what the desired outcome was, but the path to get me there was unclear. And along with that, sometimes came some frustration. And both of these women have walked the walk. What you hear them talking about today is not just words that they prepped, they didn't. These are words they live. These are um, words they live by. They live by example and lead by example. I've turned to them in moments where I couldn't see the I knew what I wanted to have happen, but I couldn't see how to make it happen. And they both, in their own different ways, helped me to step back, reassess the situation. Um, And actually, it turns out that I ended up in this new business that I have since July. I've ended up having several choices um, that I could take to reach the desired outcome, in great part because of these two women and a couple of other women who are probably listening and who know who you are. Um, I call you my posse, and I am so grateful for your leadership skills, abilities. It's not just words on paper or words coming out of your mouth. You really, really walk the walk and lead by example. I do know that since we are, um, we're not all from the South, like Deborah Graybine said, but um, I am, I was born in New Orleans, but we're all Southern girls now, I'll say. We are, uh, have a tendency to be, um, stereotyped as always polite there's nothing wrong with being polite at all but when you see being polite in quotes uh you know that that's not a genuine um you know so so we're kind of known for being sticky sweet if you i'm sure you've heard that before um how do you handle that what deborah mcmurray said being open honest and direct and still, you know, sometimes you're going to hurt feelings, but how, how do you make sure that um, the person that you're talking with understands that, you know, this is a way of minimizing drama. This is a way of being open, honest, and direct, and that it's a sign of respect that I'm showing you this. How do you make sure that this person doesn't think that you are, um, because we're not fake. We're not. I mean, I'm polite, but I'm certainly not fake. Uh, integrity is my number one sacred value. Grit is right, th- right up there. So how do you make sure that you can still be polite, but not sugarcoat things? And Deborah Graybine or Deborah McMurray, whomever wants to answer. Um, uh, d- uh, d- uh, DG, I'll jump
1: in. Um I I first wanted to mention you, you just mentioned the word drama, and that's another great word to put below the line. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I hate drama so much. Uh, And I love theater drama, but I don't love life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I grew up in, like Deborah, I'm not a native. I've been in Texas now 31 years, but I, uh, so it's absolutely home. But I grew up in Minnesota where, and I'm using air quotes here, um, y'all can't see me, but Minnesota nice is a thing. Ah. And Wikipedia, it's actually in Wikipedia, and and they define it as, the cultural characteristics of Minnesota nice include polite friendliness, an aversion to confrontation, passive aggressiveness, a tendency toward understatement, a disinclination to make a fuss or stand out, Emotional restraint and self-deprecation, <laughs> and uh, and so those are my people. But but uh, so it's it's, awesome. it is not just a southern trait. But I do think that we sometimes use these geographical cues and quirks as excuses for our behavior. Yeah, and without kind of an. A, 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 a great sort of groundswell of self-awareness. I think we can kind of fall into some patterns that are, that are very comfortable, but are not very helpful and not very um, supportive of others. Um, so I think that, the, you know, the passive aggressiveness, that, that just, I hate that pretty much Pain. anything same. And, um, and so I, it's something I've, I, I had to first become aware of and then I really had to fight it.
0: So I, I have to say when I first married my current husband, he, um, he's not my first rodeo. So y'all know that. So he's my last though, for sure. Um, but he didn't realize What the actual meaning of passive-aggressive meant, you know, and and I would say things like oh That's very unhealthy when someone is passive-aggressive or I think she was being passive aggressive or and he's like What exactly does that mean? And I thought that was interesting because He is very male in the quintessential stereotypical way that we define a male his military background his leadership style, you know so for him to ask that question I tried to make it clear the difference between being assertive and aggressive and how I advise young ladies who are trying to grow up in business, be assertive, not aggressive, be confident, not cocky. He didn't know that aggressive was a bad thing. Um, and, And, you know, some might use air quotes around bad, but I think that passive aggressive, aggressive, actually outright, you know, active aggressive. I think being aggressive is not good in the work setting, especially for women who are trying to make their way. I could be wrong. I know that you know some men say don't share that message because you're hurting young women. They should be aggressive. What do you think about you know, assertiveness versus aggressiveness?
2: I'm gonna, this is DG. Um, I'm coming front to this conversation from a bit of a different place. Um, So coming from the East Coast, there was not a lot of politeness, if you will. (laughs) And I grew up uh, with brothers and my mother particularly was very gritty. Um, kind and funny and smart, but gritty. Uh, I think both of you know that she was the only one of four girls in her family um, that went to college and that's because she wanted to go to college and she had to find the financial way to do it. eh? Her parents couldn't afford it at all and she was not afraid to reach out to anybody and everybody to help her get through college. So my upbringing and the major influence for me was male being with my brothers and my mom who was a bit sharp elbowed. Um, And so I had to learn less direct communication and I had to learn how to tone down my probably aggressive way of communicating and it took a long time. Um, I know both of you are familiar with all the different profiling uh, tests like Meyer Briggs and so forth. and. Um, on the DISC profile, D is direct. I was such a high D that I outscored most men in that category. And when I had that test um, and the results came back, they told me to, um, they wanted me to take it again, just to be sure that the scoring was accurate. <laughs> and, and so the counselor finally came back and said, so Congratulations. Um, you have set the bar so high, but but you might need to tone it down a bit. And so I had to work on toning it down. Um, and so I and it was such an integral part of me that I had to really work at that. So my being about um, passive aggressive or being too polite, while I am careful about being appropriate um, and being polite, I'm, I'm a good good user of please and thank you. Um, I don't know that I have a whole lot of um, desire or willingness to put up with things that just aren't going to be productive for the situation at hand.
0: I like that about you, I think that's great. So uh, again, you can be open, honest, and direct, and you can be straightforward, eliminating drama and, and mis, you know, guidance, misinformation, miscommunication, and still be, you know, polite and kind about it. Um, I find, by the way, I'm high D on the disc, like off the charts D. It's almost embarrassing, um, especially because I am from the South and I am known to be, you know, Susie Sunshine, that sort of thing. But when it comes to business and you're trying to reach a goal, you need to get on the right path and go down that path and and not be distracted and try not to be distracted. So I appreciate that you're a high D. I appreciate that you also um, have that in you where you say, take a breath, take a step back, get clear, focus, and then move forward. So I think those are all great leadership traits. Uh, Deborah McMurray. Where are you? I'm just curious. Have you ever taken any of those personality tests? I teach a lot of that Myers-Briggs and the, you know, ENFJ kind of thing. Where are you on that scale? Do you know?
1: Yes. I, I love all of those tests as well. Um, and I, and I play kind of a game with myself where I meet new people and I try to identify where they fall in the, uh, Myers-Briggs profiling and so on. So uh, in Myers-Briggs, I the first time I took it, I was ENFJ and the more recent time that I took it. So I was an employee when I first took it at, in, in a law firm. And uh, the, the, the most recent uh, time that I took it, I was um, the CEO of Content Pilot and I had shifted to ENFP.
0: Um,
2: Murray, that is exactly me.
0: Yeah, I can see it. I can totally see it. Exactly.
2: I just took the, uh, the most recent one last week and I was ENFP.
0: Yeah, it's, it is
1: interesting on the disc. I'm high, high eye with a, a backup D and if in the, I speak your language, which is the instrument when I do training, um, of in, in working with law firms, I use that instrument and, um, and I am a, an intuitor, um, um totally. I can
0: totally see that
1: Intuitor twitter sensor, uh,
0: sensor yeah wow wow Intuator. so so one quick thing um I took the i speak, which you're just now referring to, and sensor is it's crazy uh, like there's it's crazy how i've sent the d on the disk profile but not much of the sensor on the, i speak so um, but I could totally tag you two as what you said you are, Deborah. You're my husband, except for he's a T. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, where you're an F. I yeah. can see how you two totally would hit it off. I mean, if we had dinner together, you two would just converse all night and hit hit it off beautifully. This has been so much fun, so eye opening. Um I want to give you a chance to say anything about your style of leadership or anything really anything you'd like to talk about before we say goodbye.
1: Uh I yeah I I would like to share kind of my 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 other motto um that I haven't mentioned I've got two others one is elevate and Susan you and I've talked about that a lot. Yes um um but the but the fourth one um, is that I say yes. And I do, um, I do think that women are more inclined to say yes because they feel they can't say no. And that is not what this is about for me at all. It, because I do say, I say no a lot, but it means that I am highly discerning in how I identify what I think would be a remarkable opportunity or a stretch opportunity. Um, and what it, it it can it can cover like a new client assignment um, that's provocative and challenging. It could cover charitable board leadership. Um, this year, I'm co-developing the next big thing for the Legal Marketing Association. I'm chairing a gala um, in November, and those kinds of things. So they're all sort of stretched. They're high, they're high profile. Yes, which um, is is great, but. Um, but it's more that they are really stretch opportunities. And, and I think it's a fact of life. And it's a, it's a sad thing that as you age, your personal relevance is perceived as diminishing. And oh. I think when you stop saying yes, you stop getting asked. And so my goal for my relevance into you know, my 80s and 90s is that i will continue to say yes
0: well since you look like you're 30 you've got a long way to go
1: (laughs) i'm counting on that
0: i think it's awesome so um i i love your i want you after this podcast to send me an email or to call me and i'll write them down your four mottos that you mentioned i would like to with your permission use those in some of the sessions that i do i think they're great um So I say, take the meeting, you know? So when someone reaches out to me, I don't know why they want me to meet with them or why they want to talk on the phone, but I always take the meeting. Now there may not be a follow on if it turns out to be something that's not good for the two of us, but I always say, yes, I take the meeting. So um, for your example of just say yes, I am going to try to, Say yes to the higher, you know, stretch assignments, the the bigger deals, the things that may challenge my um, muscle memory, if you will. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Absolutely. So, yeah, Deborah Grabein, is there anything you'd like to say before we say goodbye?
2: First of all, I thank you for the opportunity to do this today with you and Deborah. Um, I have learned so much today, which every opportunity to learn and improve is a good opportunity for me, even though I might, not, I might not learn the way I'd like to learn, there's learning to be had in everything. And I am so grateful for this time today, and, and I hope that the words that we have shared for listeners will resonate with at least one person who will then be able to take His or her leadership styles and be able to make them better. So, if that's the impact of today, it's been a wonderful time with you all. I would echo something that Deborah said, and it is something that I am experiencing myself right now. So, in the spirit of being authentic and vulnerable, I believe that there is such challenge for women today, and as well for men, I will not say it is simply gender restricted, but when someone hits 65, there is something that happens that says that individual doesn't have as much to offer as he or she once did. And that is flawed thinking and failed leadership in so many ways.
0: So my hope,
2: is that I am going to be able to have an ability to influence that thinking to begin to turn that tide, because I believe just the opposite to be true. My 60 something year old self is greater and wiser and smarter and maybe even a bit kinder than she was at 30 or 40 something. And I actually think I have my best living to do and my best giving to do. And so what that looks like, I know not, but I am highly motivated and highly encouraged to do something. And if that is the legacy, then that is the legacy. But this podcast is a great first step towards that and I'm enormously grateful for all of it, and for all of you.
0: Well, we love you dearly, we respect you immensely, and we are so grateful that you are in our professional circle as well as personal circle. And I know I speak for Deborah McMurray when I say those very words. You two go back, way back farther than than the relationship you have with me. And I am just blessed and fortunate and honored to be able to call you friends, advisors, mentors, part of my posse. So thank you both for being here today. Deborah McMurray, do you want to say goodbye? Yeah, thank you both. Deborah, Graybine. you and I will, this May,
1: we'll be celebrating our 14th anniversary of working together and friendship, and and that's fantastic. So Susan, we're well on our way with you.
0: Well, I hope to be around for a very long, robust uh, friendship with the two of you as well. And I hope that we see great things for all of us in our personal and professional lives. We have handled things beautifully, if I say so myself. Cheers. Have a great to you both. day, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us and for listening in. You can look for the Freeman Means Business podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other channels on the web. I'll also post a blog about this podcast on my own website, freemanmeansbusiness.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.